You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Would you all please remain standing for the reading of today's gospel? A reading from the gospel of Matthew chapter 20 verses 20 to 28. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that those two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at the right hand and at my left is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, continue to move as we hear the scripture read and preach today. In your name, amen. You may be seated this morning. Put your hands together if you feel the presence of God moving in the room. First, a review on friendship. This is the topic we are in. This is the topic we will be in for a while. Um, It is the topic that I feel of everything God wants us to talk about because, and this is the beginning of a review from last week, one, friendship is where correction happens faithfully. This is not a word for all time. This is a word for this time. We have to be the kind of people who don't find a way that works and then try to stay in that way forever. That's how we do damage in people's lives and in our own life. We have to move and ebb with the Holy Spirit as he moves and ebbs through the contours of the world's brokenness. And so right now, husband and wife, if there's struggle in the marriage, God is saying, establish your friendship first and then go to work on the marriage. But don't think that you can't be friends until you go to work on the marriage. That's the order for this season. Set the table, date each other in the house, flirt, say cute things, fake it if you have to. Because friendship is gonna lead the way to a healthy atmosphere for what needs to be fixed. Not the other way around, mom and dad, Love your children to the fullest extent of your capability before they ever change. In this season, actually forever, don't ever make them think that there is more love that you have to offer them, but it will only happen when they change. While we were still sinners, somebody say while. While we were still sinners, Christ came and gave us a good talking to. No, that's not what it says. While we were still sinners, Christ 
told us to come to the altar and said, if you don't stop, I'm turning this car around. While we were still sinners, Christ came and died for the ungodly, offered the fullest extent of his love, whether or not we ever change. Don't hold your kids hostage with your love. Anybody who goes to work on a Monday, don't offer your best skill set once your job finally starts to treat you better. Go there and offer yourself. Because it's only in the atmosphere of friendship and serving that things will change. That's point one. If you want the rest of it, it's a really good sermon. It's on there from last week. Two, friendship is thanksgiving causing production. Right now, what will cause production in somebody is not a harsh word of exhortation. That is true, and that does happen, and there are times, me and you talk about this all the time, Jeff, there are times where we just need, we usually say our wives, somebody to just tell it like it is, tell us we're being dumb, and we will change. But I'm trying to let them know right now that we're a bit too sensitive for that at the moment. Right now, what will cause production in somebody's life, listen, is when we become explorers and find the one or two affirmable things in their life and celebrate it all the way and just leave the other stuff. I remember I had breakfast with Elder Bill, and I, I, um, I preach everywhere I go, and I situated the food on my plate, and I said, if I don't like anything on this plate except for this one piece of food right here, then my job in this season is to tell everybody how much I might not like anything on this plate, but I love this one thing, and I want to say it to the point where you think I'm talking about everything on the plate. Because what people need right now is thanksgiving in their life, where, and if, 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 if you know that God created everybody, then in every person there is always something to affirm. No matter how bad it is, there is always something to affirm. God's blood is on their life. And so we need to get people to produce, to be productive again, to move forward, to grow the fruit of the Spirit, not right now through a harsh word of exhortation, but through affirmation through appreciation, through thanksgiving. Thanksgiving will cause people's life to flourish in this season that we're in right now. And finally, friendships are formed in relational context. This was very important. Okay, there's no such thing as I'm not your friend, I'm your pastor. There's no such thing as I'm not your friend, I'm your father. There's no such thing as I'm not your friend, I'm your husband. I'm going to talk about this in a minute. Yesterday, I got to celebrate 11 years being married to my very best friend. But the relationship you have determines the unique kind of friendship you can have within it. So if you're just friends, that's one thing. If you're parent-child, then there's a unique kind of friendship that can happen between a parent and a child that is different than every other kind of friendship that child can ever experience anywhere else. 
Every relationship holds within it the capacity for friendship. It's just that the kind of relationship determines the kind of friendship. Well, pastor, how do we know that? Listen to last week's sermon. It's pretty good. I will take that, Stuart Walker. So today, I have three items for us that we hear. Why in the world am I wearing a collar today all of a sudden? Today is the day that the church at large celebrates the life of James, the disciple of Jesus. We heard about James in the reading today. James and John are brothers. And even though James and John left their father in the boat, how many know that story? Where they're just like, Dad, we're following Jesus. And Dad is like, you go. I'm letting you go. I'm just going to, I'm offering you like Abraham offered Isaac, go. And then apparently, Zebedee says to his wife, can you follow them, please? Because in this story, it's the mother of James and John who apparently has traveled with them and is now saying to Jesus, I want my boys. Listen, I'm not biased, but my boys are kind of the best ones you got, Jesus. And so when you enter your kingdom, I just think, and I'm just spitballing here, that they should sit, ah, eeny, meeny, one at your left and one at your right. Moms aren't biased at all. Every sermon I preach is my best sermon, according to my mom. Doesn't realize she disses every other one every time she says that. And we celebrate the life of James, who out of the 12 disciples was the first one to actually fully drink the cup and be martyred by King Herod, Acts 12, and began to usher in the glory of God in the earth by joining Jesus on the cross, quite literally. And we see today where James and John ask Jesus a question, and they have no idea what they're asking, and dangerously, Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking me, but you can have it. We ask Jesus for too many things, and he says yes to most of them, and it's why we go through trials sometimes. Because he always says, Steph, you don't know what you just asked me for, but this will be fun. I'll give it to you. And then he's like, up in heaven, he's like, everybody gather around. Watch. He's going to become a pastor. He's been asking for a long time. This is going to be hilarious. There's popcorn. Gabriel made popcorn. Everybody sit down. The popcorn's never ended. Anyway. <laughs> so we celebrate this life that in this story almost broke friendships entirely. But by the end of his life, he's forging them. What do we learn about friendship in this story? The first thing we need to know is this. One of my favorite quotes I've ever heard by Father John Bear, a Greek Orthodox priest, he said this, Satan is any person or force that seeks to separate Jesus from his cross. Satan is any person or force that seeks to separate Christ from his cross. So the one time that Jesus calls out Satan is when Peter says, I know you're the Messiah, but don't go to Jerusalem. And Jesus bypasses Peter and says, I know who's really talking to me right now, and it's not Peter. Because Satan wants us to live in all of the virtues of Jesus, but not be self-denying in the process. He wants us to think that the virtues of Jesus can earn us wealth and material goods at the expense of other people. 
Satan wants us thinking that if we obey Christ, we will win in a way that the world will lose and they'll be jealous of us and want to be us. Jealousy has never produced anything good ever once. Satan is always trying to get Jesus to save himself. Are you hungry? Make bread. If you jump off that mountain, call on angels, they'll save you. Your reputation is at stake, Jesus. Worship me and you can have all these kingdoms and save your reputation. All three temptations have to do with Jesus saving himself. And then finally on the cross, if you really are the Son of God, save us and save yourself. The voice of the devil is always trying to get you to be miraculous without being self-denying. The voice of the devil always wants you to be miraculous for your own betterment, not the betterment of the person sitting next to you. Friendship, real, authentic friendship, is a life that is fully given over to the good of another without expecting anything back. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you... Why does he say that? Because they've ascended to some new level? I've heard this taught. I'm going to move from servant to friend. Don't know what you're saying when you say that. Read a book. Jesus doesn't say... I'm no longer going to call you servants. I'm going to call you friends because now they don't need to listen to what he says to do anymore. What Jesus is saying is that you're already serving without me telling you to. You've become friends. Because friends serve when there's no hierarchy telling them to. Dr. King said it this way, the world will change when people serve without a force compelling them to. Jesus knew at one point they'll serve when I tell them to. And if I don't tell them to, they won't serve. So they were called servants because servants need to be told what to do. But there was a moment in their life when Jesus said, these guys, they'll serve me even if I don't tell them to. And he turns and says, you've now become friend. What does friend mean? Friend is when you're a servant without a hierarchy making you have to serve. Before I get into some lighter stuff, can I just step on toes one more time because it's fun? And because I'm not going to be able to walk soon, I won't be able to step on anybody's toes. So give me a second to step on some toes. Steph, can I step on some toes? Jeff, step on some toes? Okay. People ask Jacqueline and I all the time, do you believe that there is a hierarchy in your marriage? An authority figure. And we always say, which marriage? Like ours? or a new one, or one that's going through a tough time, or one that's very spiritually mature, what kind? And their response is usually, I didn't know to think of it that way. Well, you have to. Because look what Jesus says. Jesus is the person all of our marriages should ever be pointing to. Amen? Do we agree on that? Because that might be the last thing we agree on for a few minutes. There's a point where Jesus says, Father, make them one even as we are one. And he says, no longer do I call you servants because when friendship thrives, hierarchy can dissolve because the things that the hierarchy was compelling you to do are now happening naturally in the spirit. So here's the thing. Right now, I am married to my best friend, but I didn't marry my best friend. We have become best friends 
through the trials and tribulations, blessings and difficult times over the last 11, but really 16 years of being together. We've become best friends. And the more friendly we become, the more serving happens because of love and not because of hierarchy. The more mature the marriage becomes, the less authority matters at all. She's no more my covering than I am hers. We decorate this church together. We decorate our home together. We nurture our daughter together. We nurture all of you together. We are operating in a friendship where we don't need someone telling someone else to do to love right. Hierarchy is ultimately for things that are still growing, things that still need to be mature. Now, when you go through a difficult time, husband, wife, mom, and dad, is there a time where things are breaking down and you need someone to be in charge? Absolutely, 100% yes. But that shouldn't be rooted in your gender. That should be rooted in who's thinking the clearest at the moment. Can I get an amen from somebody? Listen, we sit with a lot of you in our office And you got dude making decisions for his wife, and he doesn't know which way is up. It's time for you to stop making decisions right now and let her make some because you're dizzy. It shouldn't be a particular person. It should be the person who's thinking the clearest and who's well-oriented the most in any given scenario. I'll take it. That's like 60% amens. The devil always wants you to try to get things to be good without having to deny yourself. But when you truly become friends in all the various ways that friendship can happen, when you truly become friends, doing the right thing, doing the serving thing, doing the offering thing is what you're hungry for. When the Spirit has infected your life and gotten you sick with the virus of love, all you want to do is offer whatever goods you have to make the other person's life a little bit better. I don't know if anybody ever heard the song by Jax, Love Like My Father. Google it right now. You can listen to something on your phone while I'm preaching. It's the only time I will let you. This is a song written by a daughter. If anybody does, I'll smack you. That was a entirely rhetorical joke. It's a song written by a daughter who's writing about how she wants to fall in love with a man who can love her like her father loved her mother. And nothing, like I'm just, I'm, I'm sitting there, we're getting ready for Stephen Rosanna, some of our good friends to come over, and we're getting ready around that. And I, I'm playing, I said, Alexa, play today's top hits, because I was feeling carnal. And so all of a sudden, this one song came on, and I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute, am I, is there pollen in the air? Am I sick? Should I get a COVID test? What is happening? And I'm like, all of a sudden, I've listened to this song 67,000 times because it's done two things to me. It convicted me and gave me hope at the same time. Nothing is more exciting than when you're convicted and have hope at the same time. I need to change, but I can. I need to do better, but I can. And God forbid it happens with a secular song. Why am I even saying half of this right now? James and John's mother, what an amazing woman. Number one, friendship creates and holds space. Friendship creates and holds space. She didn't tell Jesus I demand that my boys sit at your right and your left. She asked him, would you permit? 
Want to know why? Because friendship is the kind of relationship where yeses and nos can both be fruitful and flourish. If you're in a relationship where the only way it can flourish is if you give a yes, it is a toxic relationship. Yeses and nos have to flourish. Nos have to be just as fruitful as yeses. A healthy relationship is when we can say yes or no and sometimes be right or wrong for saying yes or no. And the relationship is not always on trial in front of a jury of not my peers. A relationship that is truly friendly, that is truly loving, is a relationship that doesn't rise or fall with the next thing that happens. Somebody asked me recently, what does it mean to have a stable marriage? And I said, that means to have a marriage that has shaken a lot. No, no, no. I said, what does it mean to have a stable marriage? I said, no, 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 no. It means a marriage that has shaken a lot and it's still standing. That's how you know that something is stable. If it never shakes, you don't know if it's stable or not. You want to build a chair? Let me sit in it. Then you'll know if it's stable or if it's not. Why are you laughing? Aldo's cracking up. Stability is only seen in something that has shaken like crazy, but it's still here. A relationship that can handle yeses and nos, rights and wrongs. Because look, all of a sudden, these 10 other jokers start getting mad at James and John. And guess what? James and This is where my mom is a little different than James and John's mom. All the 10 start getting mad at her two boys. And what does she say? What does she say? You don't know because she doesn't say anything. She doesn't interrupt negative people. She lets negative people be negative because it doesn't germinate in her body. The only people who always need to respond to negative people are people who are stuck being negative themselves. Because when you're secure in your requests, when you're secure in what you're doing wrong, when you're secure in what you need to do better, when you're secure in where you need to repent and you're working on it, negative people don't feel like a threat to you. But when you're bent out of shape every time somebody says something negative, that is God's revelation to you, not about them, but about you, that you got some instability you need to work on a little bit. She said, my boy should sit at your right and your left. And all of a sudden, Judas and the gang are like, this is terrible, this is terrible. She doesn't even turn around and acknowledge their negativity even with a glance. She's still looking at Jesus like, I don't hear, like, It creates space. Good friendships are friendships where the person you're friends with can have a bad day, week, month, year, possibly decade, and you're still friends because the space is large enough to handle sin. You can clap. It is not a friendship if it can't handle sin. It's not a friendship if it can't hold a rude comment. It's not friendship if it can't hold some kind of letdown, some kind of disappointment, even some kind of hurt or pain. It's not friendship if it can't handle those things. Acquaintance at best, flattery at worst, but it's not a friendship. It has to be able to handle yeses and nos. I want Sophia to be able to say no one day. How many have heard when kids are first born, after mom and dad, their next word is mine? 
And somebody probably taught us that it's because children are born with natural rebellion. That's why they say mine. I'm going to say this. You're ready to put on your we have to be dynamic, we have to look at the nuance, yes end kind of annoying sermon that I'm about to preach here. Sophia says mine all the time. Are there times where it's straight up selfish? Yes. That's right. Like when I asked you for some Tootsie Rolls. Every other kid at the party gave me some Tootsie Rolls except for you. Judah slam dunked them in my iced tea. <laughs> Nothing tastes better than Tootsie Roll that also tastes like iced tea. Thank you for the new invention. <laughs> Ruthie's like, he doesn't eat well. His <laughs> other foot's going to break eventually, too. Yeah, there's times where a kid says, mine, and it's rebellious, but there's also the reality. Please hear me, mom and dad, with young kids especially, while they're still young. There's also the reality that one day, this world is going to try to steal stuff from them, and we want them to be able to say, mine. Like when Sophia's sitting next to some joker who thinks he owns her, I want her to be able to say, no, this body's mine. It's not yours. If you want to tarry with me, maybe you can marry me. Like, that's what I want her to be able to say. So I want her to be able to say no. I don't want to create a robot who always says yes because then she might say yes to the wrong dude. Natasha, this is your fault. This whole entire sermon is your fault, man. Even with a mask on, you just sit there like, God, you talk to Natasha for two seconds and you'll all become preachers, I promise you. Like, don't even look at me for the rally. Like, I'm about to preach. I'm, I'm about to do a parenting seminar all of a sudden. Like, let's get some, let's get a food truck. How many love a food truck? Let's get a food truck here. God. Parents with the youngest kids, please understand that these young years, these really young years, these are not years where you're supposed to be a drill sergeant and just do nothing but discipline. These are years where they need to hear the playful voice of the good shepherds and shepherdesses that God has put in their life so that when discipline is truly needed as they grow, they trust the relationship of discipline. It's the time to bear the burden of discipline because watch this, discipline is not punishment. Discipline is how you teach somebody to avoid having to be punished. Natasha, <laughs> if I could discipline my body to eat right now, it won't punish me with a heart attack later. You understand what I'm saying? Ask everybody over here. They were at the party yesterday. First of all, <laughs> Carrie, Carrie does these parties at her house where children never want to leave obediently. So I say to Sophia, Sophia, it's time to go. And she says, No! I got like seven, eight congregants there. I'm like, okay, so Sophia is about to, this is going to be a, this is about to be a thing. Let me just. <laughs> and here's my parenting seminar. You ready? Write this down. Do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. There is no curriculum on parenting that's ever been right. Don't look at me like that. Because there's no curriculum for parenting. There's your relationship with the Holy Spirit spilling over into the life of your children. That's the seminar. $100 each for that. The Holy Spirit, she says, no! And I'm like, okay. Yes! Because that's mature. 
38. I went right down. And the Holy Spirit says, you don't want her to say yes to you right now. Because this is the kind of environment she should want to be in. And it's Carrie's fault. You got pools, pinatas, candy, cake, bunnies, trampolines. Thank you, Dominique. Trampolines that officially on camera Ian had nothing to do with. This isn't the kind of environment when she says, no, I'm about to stand up there the next day and preach on friendship. And I want to be like, no, leave your friends now. Let's go. So I realize in this moment, it's actually, she taught me something. This isn't a get up and go quickly scenario. Now she's trying to cross the street and Jeff is driving by, who's clearly listening to music and not looking at the road. And I'm like, Sophia, stop. And she says, no, now I got to grab her. Now I got to yoke her. Now I got to take her. But don't cross the street and let's go home are two different scenarios. And she needs to learn a different discipline for each. It can't just be obey your dad. Blank. Because being with your friends is something you should want to do. And crossing the street without looking is something you shouldn't ever do. And we need to teach her. We need to bear the burden of disciplining now the difference between friendship and romantic love. We need to teach her different ways of obeying in this. So it's not all about discipline. It's not all about getting them to change their instincts by spanking them when they're one. It's about understanding that you are setting the stage for the kinds of friendships and relationships they will have, and it takes time, and your friendship with Christ needs to spill over into their life. So I had to have some, some very precious deacons watch my daughter yell at me, and the Holy Spirit say, don't you dare because you didn't prepare her to leave. You, when you were ready to leave, it was time to go. Was she? And I'm like, she doesn't get to have that choice. And God's like, who sold you that? You're going to learn something from her. Listen. Oh, man, you guys don't like me very much. I hope I am. I don't know. You tell me in a few years. I have no idea. Want us to do a parenting seminar. Why? So we could be embarrassed in 16 years? Oh, don't laugh at me. I've heard you all say stuff, too. I've been here for 20 years. I've heard some confident assertions about how you... Okay. (laughs) Friendship is teachable. It's teachable. Friendship should not be rooted in agreement. It should be rooted in learning. Our relationships are so rooted in agreement... They should be rooted in learning. None of you believe now what you believed 20 years ago. 20 years ago, you walked up in here with a tattoo. You were out. Ladies wearing pants. Goodbye. Jacqueline thinks she's going to give a word in the spirit. At home, please. (laughs) Things have changed over the last 40 years, no? No. So ask yourself today, what am I so certain about today that in 40 years I'll be making a joke about? It's not about agreement. It's about learning. Can we sit at your right hand and your left hand? You know what they didn't know? They didn't know that his right hand and his left hand was going to be two criminals on a cross because they didn't think his cross was going to be his throne. And what does Jesus say? Can you, watch how slick, Jesus is slick. He says, can you drink the cup I'll drink? And they're like, all they're thinking of is the cup from Daniel or the cup from the Joseph story or the cup bearer. And they say, yes, we can drink it. He said, you will drink it. 
And then he says, can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with? Why is he associating his cross to baptism? Because offering yourself for the life of your friends is how you cleanse and transform the world around you. Yeah, we could be baptized. And he says to James, and you will be. Which is why we're celebrating James today. Because King Herod killed him. Because he wouldn't denounce Christ. But Jesus doesn't say up front, will you suffer with me? Because they would have said no. So he invites them into his suffering by not giving them all the information they needed to say no. I would love to drink with you, Jesus. Let's pour them right now. Jesus is coming over. He said, we'll drink the cup. And then in Gethsemane, when they're actually watching him wrestle with that cup, they fell asleep for sorrow because they couldn't believe that's what the cup meant. Jesus knew they didn't agree with him yet, but he knew they were submitted to learning. And that's why he called them friends. If he would have said cross right then and there, if he would have said skin torn out right then and there, if he would have said crucified upside down, Peter, right then and there, if he would have said burnt at the stake, John, right then and there, they would have said no because they hadn't learned enough to understand what they were asking. But Jesus' friendship with us is not rooted in agreement. It's rooted in our capacity to grow in his Holy Spirit. And so our relationships, the best friendships you'll ever have, are ones where you learn together, husband, wife. It's not about how much you agree on a day-to-day -day basis. It's how much you're both willing to learn at the feet of Jesus. Which means you will have problems. And you will learn. You will make mistakes with your children. And you will learn. Let me tell you a quick story. God. Why? Whatever, I'm not preaching next week, so I'll get it in now. Watch, Elder Paul will preach for 20 minutes and then make everybody like, why can't you preach like Elder Paul does or something? <laughs> Where's my dad? Dad, where are you? Upstairs? There you are. So when I was little, I had to have been little because I would have crushed you during this story. So it must have been, I must have been pretty little. My dad took me for a walk in the Depew Park in Peekskill, and at one point he says, do you want to know what faith means? I was like, sure. So he told me to climb up on this rock, and he said, jump. I'm like, where is CPS when you need it? Is this a joke? My dad is a jokester, so the minute he said jump, you're like, wait a minute, dad. He said jump, and I jumped, and he caught me, and he said, that's what faith is. Faith is knowing that when you jump, you'll be caught. Now, here's the funny thing. Here's what my dad didn't know. I thought about this yesterday, Dad. This will be a fun one to talk about. We don't know what we mean when we say even good things. There are sermons that I'm preaching every week that I won't know the substance of until I'm 70, 80, 90 years old. See, what does the rock represent? Say his name out loud. He's not Voldemort. Say his name. What did my dad tell me to jump off of a rock? See, what my dad and I didn't know is that God was setting us up for the times that I would leave Christ. I would jump away from him. 
I would move on from the things that he and my mom have taught me. And my dad was saying, without knowing it, we're going to go through some hard times, but friendship is going to catch you. I won't talk about them all, but me and my dad went through some very, very dark times with each other. If somebody asked me right now, besides Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I hate to have to make these disclaimers in church. You give an answer, people are like, you mean God, right? Yes, obviously. But what did God use? If I had to say, what is the one tool? What is the one area? What is the one place that God used to restore a relationship with a father and a son? It's a board game. We found a board game in some Dark times, well, I should say we found. My dad taught me about a board game that he has played for a very long time. And to this day, once a week, probably except for just the summer months, I go to his house on Thursday night or Friday night, and we play this board game for three, four hours together. Play and friendship is how my father caught me when I jumped away from Christ and put me back up on that rock. Not stern talking to's, although there were some. Some that I agree with and some that we still need to hash out. Still think I was right about a few things. But there was also friendship at this, this table. And there, relationship was restored. So if you're here and you heard me just talk to parents with young kids and say, please don't make those early years all about discipline. If you're saying, and you'll say this for the rest of your life, and I'll say it for the rest of my life, I wish I knew now, I wish I knew then what I just learned today. Have you ever heard a sermon that you were like, would have been good about 10, 15 years ago? Have you ever heard a comment where you were like, you walked in the door, and you're like, I really wish you would have just told me that three minutes ago before I left work. I think I'm fired. Like, Here's how you restore the years. Friendship. Befriend your older children. Friendship flows backwards and frontwards. It is anointing oil that flows in alpha and omega directions. And it will heal what years of trauma and misunderstanding and this goes for the children, too. If mom and dad got it wrong, that is not a Halloween costume to hide behind forever and excuse why you're indulging yourself. Everybody has to sit there and say, we are children growing up toward our Heavenly Father. And the more grown we get, the more we can make changes and adjustments but I don't want anybody at Salem Tabernacle living like you are on trial forever because of the way you handled yourself for a few short years of a child's life. The trial is over. All you have now is new mercy and grace every morning. That's what you have to parent with. It's not over. It will never be over with your children. It will never, ever, ever, ever be over because you can always allow the oil and perfume of friendship to resurrect those things that seem so beaten down. I think this is about the text we read today, but it might not be. 
And then finally, friendship is timeless. It's timeless. <laughs> Speaking of time, John, you can actually come up here now. Because ahead of time. It's like asking Sophia to leave a party early. i got to ask her 30 minutes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but seriously, come on, okay. Has anybody ever had a moment where you become, and it only, it doesn't last, but for a quick moment, you become very aware that life is either going to take someone from you or take you from somebody else. Sometimes laying in bed at night, I think about it the most clearly. I'm like, how many more days? How many more sleeps? How many more come home from work and say, hey, and wonder what we're walking into today? How many more trips to the grocery store? Right? We don't know. We don't know. And here's the thing. This gang of disciples in this story, they're like, it's like the worst episode of the Jersey Shore. It's like they're all together all the time, constantly messing up and being ridiculous. And right now in this moment, their relationships are about to fall apart because they think that the best move in life is to ascend above other people to places of prominence. And so the two disciples at least have the boldness to ask for it. The other ten, the holier-than-thou ten, are like, how dare they ask to sit one at the left and one at the right? But they're only mad because they were about to ask Jesus the same thing. But people got there first. So now you could take the holier-than-thou movement, like, oh my gosh, can you believe that James and John, can you believe they got their mother? They got their mom to go ask her. Like, they're trying to manipulate Jesus. Because they know Jesus has a soft spot for women. Oh, I don't mean it the way you just heard it. I meant it literally. That's why women are the first apostles on Easter Sunday. Mary Magdalene, the one who everybody judged, was the apostle to the apostles. Everybody is jockeying for position. And Jesus knows something that none of us know. He knows that every one of those 12, 11 of them will die from being put to death, and one of them will commit suicide. He knows that he's about to be taken from them, and although he'll return in spirit on the day of Pentecost, he knows that they'll never have him again the way that they have him now. You can't fall in love with somebody and not be haunted by the fact that the next phone call could be a bad one. So the question is, how do you live in a timeless way knowing that time is taking life from us as we speak right now? There's 13 people in this moment and one of them knows how to do it, and he tells them, you serve. Serving each other is the way that we will be able to have a life end and know that we did all we could. Offering ourselves to the next person we see, to the body of believers in the room. Offering ourselves to romantic love, in a way that is not indulgent, but in a way that shows the relationship 
that Christ has with his church. Reoffering ourselves in our marriages again. Reoffering ourselves to our children. Children, reoffering ourselves to our parents. That is how we live in a world where you don't know when the phone is going to ring next. And you say, if it ended today, how will I know? Jesus is saying, don't seek to hold authority over other people. Let me tell you, the church has gotten this so bad. All about authority. Touch the hem of my garment. I watched something. Um, it's about serving. Has anybody ever been condescended before? You know why, you know why it's uncomfortable to be condescended? Because the person who's talking down to you is talking from a higher place. But Jesus condescends in a way that nobody else does because Jesus came down to below where we are. I'm going to propose right now. Paul, I'm just kidding. He gets all the way down and fully condescends so that he's actually talking up to us. That's why when he's washing Peter's feet, Peter says, come here, get up. Because Jesus actually talks up to us because he's gotten so low. He's gotten so low that he has put your worst all the way onto his shoulders and bore it back up. That is the ultimate condescension, the one where Jesus doesn't just talk down. He actually came all the way down into Hades, below the earth, and to everyone who never knew him, he led captivity captive. That's what friendship does. He is a friend that sticks. That's close. I love that phrase, he sticks. He's annoying. You can't get rid of Jesus. David said, I've tried to reject you. I've even went to hell. And the minute I got there, I'm like, thank God, Jesus. And oh my goodness gracious. How? Serving is how we defy time. And for the people who have already gone, when we serve each other, we honor that great cloud of witnesses that is forever around us, rooting for us. I'm just quoting scripture, it's not spooky. It's true. We're honoring, we're building the kingdom. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Serving in every relationship we have is the way that we defy time. Worship team can come on up. They're gonna sing a song before we come to the table. And I just want everybody in the room to think. Let's close our eyes. I just want us to think. Where has friendship hurt you that now may be impeding your ability to friend someone else?
Jesus wants to apply himself to you in that area and help you heal? Where have you injured a friendship and now feel unworthy to be friended by somebody else? Jesus wants to apply himself to you in that area and bring some healing. I've said a lot of things today. Jacqueline always tells me, say less. And I always say, I will not do that. I try. But it's, it's out there, something for everyone in this room. Think of the one thing right now the Holy Spirit wants you to grab onto. And just worship him for a moment before we come to his table. Because at his table... He's going to call you friend. You might be hurt and not think anyone can ever call you friend, or you might have hurt someone else and feel like you don't deserve to be called friend, and both of those are about to get blown up right now by Jesus. He's going to call you friend at the table. He's going to feed you. He's going to ask you to sit down with the entire company of heaven that has even gone before us. And we're about to have a meal in the largest banqueting hall time or space could ever imagine. But I want you to take a moment while the worship team sings to know that you are worthy to friend and to be friended by somebody else. And nothing in your life, even relationships that may be gone forever, none of it is beyond the grace of God to bring what healing should be. And it's different for everyone what healing will look like, but he will bring healing that is exactly right to your situation. Would you worship a little bit this morning? Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.